Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part one of an ongoing series on false flags. What was the real cause of the American Civil War? 80% of the nation's tax revenue came through southern ports in the form of tariff. And this money was going for uh, public projects, mainly in the north. So the south was getting taxed and paying the majority of the taxes in the country. And all the projects with that money were being created in the North. Lincoln, somebody once asked him, why not let the South go in peace? And he answered by saying, where would I get my money? This podcast is supported by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the heavy hitters. Paranormal Contractors utilize the latest and best technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call them at 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800 or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com Check out their YouTube channel Paranormal Contractors for things that go bump in the night Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres Pursuing the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Monday, and so a brand new work week begins. 
But I'm guessing, like a lot of you, your work week really has no beginning and no end, especially we parents. Am I right? There's always something to do. But believe me, I'm not complaining. I'm grateful and privileged to do what I do for a living and to work mostly from home and create what I hope you'll agree is some pretty great content for my little studio beneath the stairs. This episode, we begin what will be an ongoing series on false flag operations. Clint Lacey is the author of A Beginner's Guide to False Flags, and he's standing by down in southern Missouri in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains to talk about false flag operations, primarily in the United States, beginning with the War of Independence, and will and will likely get as far as the Civil War in part one. But I promise he'll be back in future episodes until we've pretty much exhausted this subject. Another reminder, I'll be sitting in for George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM this coming Friday, June the 14th. Then again, Saturday, June 15th and Friday, June 28th. Go to coasttocoastam.com, then find the affiliates page for a list of radio stations near you. Clint Lacey is a lifelong resident of Missouri. He resides in the eastern Ozarks foothills of southeast Missouri. He's an independent writer who's been published in both mainstream and independent newspapers and magazines. In 2015, he released his first book, Blood in the Ozarks, Union War Crimes Against Southern Sympathizers and Civilians in Occupied Missouri. His latest book is A Beginner's Guide to False Flags. Clint Lacey, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Richard? Terrific. Thank you for joining me. Let's begin with a definition. False flag, a false flag operation. What is it? Uh, okay, let me let me go to the official definition here. Um, basically, there's two definitions. Uh, one that I got from uh, UrbanDictionary.com. And the other one is a more, uh, I guess, formal definition. But the herb, UrbanDictionary.com says a false flag is something disguised to seem affiliated with a group other than the one it is really affiliated with. For example, a false flag operation is a terrorist act committed by one group for the express purpose of discrediting another group, which is framed for it. Uh, the more formal definition from the Oxford Living Dictionary says a flag flown to disguise the true identity or affiliation of a ship. For example, Captain Young honed out his false flag, hoisted the American ensign, and opened fire. Figuratively, it means, or example is, he hides behind the false flag of patriotism, usually as a modifier, a political or military act orchestrated in such a way that it appears to have been carried out by a party that is not in fact responsible. Some believe that the bombings were a false flag operation by state forces, for example. And that's the Oxford Living Dictionary. Right. Now, so for example, uh, we often hear the term Reichstag fire, during which time uh, Hitler sort of uh, fortified his power the, the Reichstag, the German parliament in Berlin was set ablaze and Hitler, it is said, seized upon that moment to blame the communists in Germany and, and said, they represent an existential threat to our republic. You must give me more power. Now, is that an example of a false flag? Uh, yes, it would be. 
and it's a, it's an example that we've seen repeated over and over again throughout history. Now, sometimes the the actual event isn't orchestrated by the let's say in this case, uh, let me just back up. Sometimes the actual event isn't orchestrated by the the people that that use that event as a pretext uh, for their own end game, whatever that might be. For example, uh, sometimes they see something that's on the horizon and they look the other way. In other words, they let it happen. So there's kind of, you could, they, they, they can make it happen or they can let it happen or they can simply be glad that it happened. Would all those three instances be considered a false flag? In my opinion, yes. Um, because if they make it happen, obviously, if they let it happen, they're looking for an excuse to go to war. And uh, if they're glad it happened, they were wanting to go to war anyway. Uh, right. You, usually they're looking to get themselves out of some kind of uh, financial distress of a country or region. Um things of that nature, or, or to uh, get a hold of some territory they've been looking at for quite some time. Now, I know in in your book, A Beginner's Guide to False Flags, uh, you know, you talk about uh, the War of 1812, you talk about the Civil War, etc. But, I mean, how far back in history do you think you would have to go to find the very first example of a false flag operation? Well, uh, in America, it would be the American Revolution. And uh, this shocked me because I wasn't expecting to find it. Um, we've all been told that that uh, the British fired the first shots at, at Lexington, which uh, ignited the war. Um, but the story behind this is, is quite different than what we've been taught traditionally in history. Uh, for instance, uh, they wanted to uh, to have a pact between the colonies that if uh, one colony was attacked by the British, the other colonies would uh, have to help them. Uh, and in the 1774 Philadelphia Congress, uh, the delegates said, okay, but there's this stipulation that the British have to fire the first shots. So... That's the only way the other colonies would help Massachusetts. So what we've, what we've heard, like I said, was that the British fired the first shots at Lexington Concord. But what actually happened was that the Americans were kind of lying in wait in ambush um, and fired the first shots on the British. Um, now, there were a lot of uh, veterans of the Revolutionary War that said the British fired the first shots, but a lot of them wrote diaries after the fact, and they were meant for publication and for financial gain. Uh, but evidence found in the Library of Congress in an issue of uh, Atlantic Monthly Magazine, which was originally published in 1877, which would be 100 years later, contains the uh, diary of a British officer, and he wrote, and this was April 1775, the diary entry. Last night between 10 and 11 o'clock, the Grenadiers and light, entry, light infantry of the Army make 
and about 600 men under Lieutenant Colonel Smith embarked and were landed upon the opposite shore of Cambridge Marsh. Few but the commanding officers knew that the expedition we were going upon. After getting over the marsh, we were wet up on the knees. We halted in a dirty road and stood there till two in the morning, waiting for provisions to be brought from the boats, at which time most of the men threw away uh, most of the provisions, having carried some with them. I'm guessing probably, you know, only what they needed. Uh, at two o'clock, we began our march by wading through a very long ford up to our middles. After going a few miles, we took three or four people who were going off to give intelligence about five miles on this side of a town called Lexington. Uh, Lexington lay in our road, and we heard there were some hundreds of people collected together intending to oppose us and stop our going on. At five o'clock, we arrived there and saw a number of people, I believe between two and three hundred, formed in a common in the middle of town. We still continued advancing, keeping prepared against an attack, though without intending to attack them. But on our coming near them, they fired one or two shots upon which our men, without orders, rushed in upon them, fired and put them to flight. Several of them were killed. We could not tell how many because they were got behind walls and in the woods. We had a man of the 10th Light Infantry wounded, but nobody else. So this was uh, an entry that a British officer wrote that was never meant for publication, but came to light 100 years later, and he tells a much different story. How does that change your view of American independence? Uh, because there's no question, you know, that that the edicts of King George III uh, were somewhat despotic. Uh, you know, the, the colonists felt they were living under tyranny, taxation without representation. Does it make a difference who fired the first shot? In this case, probably not. Uh they were on a collision path anyway. Um, it's just the fact that what we were taught was much different than what really occurred. Um, you know, personally, I believe America is better off as an independent nation separate from Britain. Um, but at the same time, you know, you kind of feel like you've been lied to. Right, right. Well, every country has its mythologies, right? <laughs> Without mythology, uh, some of which are concocted, uh, we might not have the same kind of country that we imagined, I suppose. I'm, I guess what I'm saying is we all have um, a tendency to concoct what's called a noble lie from time to time. Yes, and uh, additionally, in the story, uh, some other facts came to light, and that was the fact that uh, John Hancock was a Freemason from the Boston Lodge, the St. Andrew's Lodge in Boston. And Paul Revere, who famously went on his ride to warn about the British, was a member of that lodge, and a man by the name of Dawes, who history never really recognized, also rode on a circuit warning people about the British, and they both met John Hancock, who was a member of the lodge at Lexington House after their ride was through. Um, and what author James Perloff states was that basically the circuit that they rode encompassed Freemasons. And a lot of people have, you know, have stated that Freemasons played an intricate role in the independence of the country. Um, it's just facts that we never knew. 
Right, right. It is an old game, though, isn't it? The false flag uh, operation. I, I remember reading an article about the the slave revolts in the Roman Empire, and Spartacus uh, led this revolt. Essentially, he had no aspirations of, you know, sacking Rome or anything. He wasn't trying to change the social order. He just wanted to get back to uh, his home, his homeland, which was Thrace. I think at that, uh, well, it's modern day Yugoslavia. Or, uh, but but that revolt was seized upon by a, a Roman general, uh, Marcus Lucinius Crassus, who had kind of aspirations. This was in a time when Roman, when, when the Roman Empire was sort of in transition from moving from a republic to an actual uh, an actual empire. And uh, he seized upon this and said, I will save you, uh, Rome. Give me power and I'll put this down, put this revolt down. But what he did was he apparently he had positioned uh, Roman legions and they, they kind of forced uh, uh, Spartacus. And I think he had something like 70,000 slaves under his command. They forced uh, Spartacus in the direction of Rome. He had no. He wanted to get off the boot, but he couldn't get to the coast because of the position of the Roman legions. He was forced to march towards Rome, so that was kind of a false flag operation. And then they gave. They ended up giving this general all kinds of uh, power and wealth. I think he ended up to being being one of the richest men in Roman history. Uh, I mean, that goes all the way back to the you know seventy three B.C. So, really, I guess you could say it's always been thus, hasn't it? Yes, and another pattern you'll see is the person that wants the war or the country that wants the war will manipulate the other side into firing the first shots so they can say this was an act of war against us and the whole time they wanted this war, they just needed uh, a moral reason, so-called moral reason, to justify it. And if you can, and if you can create the disease... Uh, it's the old um, uh, dialectic, right? The Hegelian dialectic. You create the disease in order to offer the cure. So in the case of ancient Rome, they were forcing Spartacus on Rome, creating fear among the Roman uh, Senate and the, and, the, and, the, and the people in Rome, the citizens of Rome. Uh, please save us. Please save us. And so they would, they would hand over uh, liberty in exchange for security, which we've been warned time and time again, uh, you know, that if you if you give up a little bit of liberty for a little bit of security, you deserve neither. Uh, what about the War of 1812? Uh, I'm sitting up here in Canada, you're down in the U.S., and our two countries, well, of course, we were a British colony at that time. Uh, but, but how do you see the War of 1812 as a false flag operation? Well, because it was justified by saying the British were impressing our sailors at sea, which is true, but it was a common practice among many nations at the time. Uh, but the real uh, underlying motivator of the War of 1812 was President Polk had been trying to get uh, his hand. Oh, I'm sorry, not Polk. I'm, I'm off on another war. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The War of 1812, like I said, was about British uh, impressment. But uh, certain Americans wanted to uh, expand their territory, and they thought they could easily do that 
uh, in Canada. They thought Canadians would rise up on their side. And uh, they also thought that the British were fighting other wars and would not be able to, be able to uh, send any uh, significant power to our region to stop us. And that was a very different story. The British uh, ended up burning the White House, White House down. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, that was a, a kind of a classic example of a false flag uh, saying it was about British impressment of sailors. But it was really about trying to gain some Canadian territory. More of my conversation with Clint Lacey, the author of A Beginner's Guide to False Flags, when Conspiracy Unlimited continues. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more... Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, please keep those buds in your ears. People keep asking me, do you really drink that tea from GetTheTea.com? You bet I do. Yes, I'm still enjoying my daily 8-ounce glass of cold, refreshing, organic, caffeine-free herbal tea from my good friends at GetTheTea.com. Yes, GetTheTea.com was built on their Life Change Tea and Formula 13 teas, but there's so much more at GetTheTea.com. Just for starters, I'm taking one capsule of Moringa Leaf every day. Moringa's health benefits have been long well understood and cherished by the people of Asia and Africa. They've been using the Moringa tree as a health and medicinal plant for hundreds of years. It was even placed in the tombs of ancient Egyptians. It's a natural source of antioxidants, essential amino acids, vitamins, minerals, and coenzymes, and helps support healthy metabolism. Unlike factory-produced synthesized pills, the Moringa leaf from GetTheTea.com is crushed and inserted directly into a capsule, retaining all its nutritive value. Get your Moringa leaf from GetTheTea.com. 
truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Clint Lacey, the author of A Beginner's Guide to False Flags, is here. Let's jump a little bit ahead to um, the Civil War. And as you've pointed out in the book and other historians, uh, I recently had Don Jeffries on uh, this program and others uh, talking about how the war uh, between the North and South was was not really about slavery. Uh, it had more to do with squashing uh, certain states' right to secede. And um, uh, you make a great point in the book that there were far more um, abolitionist uh, organizations in the South than there were in the North. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, up until the uh, abolitionist movement took hold in the North, which was a very militant one, there were far more abolitionist organizations in the South. Basically, the disagreements were about how to do this, how how were we going to go about doing this, because the South had a very legitimate concern about uh, we can't turn these people loose without any way of them taking care of themselves. They're not going to have anywhere to go. Uh, and I believe it would have been an, a gradual emancipation, really. Um, but Kansas, the Kansas dispute, uh, really set this this ablaze. Uh, there were questions about whether it would come in as a free state or a uh, slave state. So the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed, and Nebraska would come in as a free state, and Kansas would determine its uh, its destiny by what they called popular sovereignty, whatever the people decided. So there were a lot of Missourians went over there and, and started uh, securing ground to uh, you know lay the foundations of farms and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, you had the abolitionists creating such organizations as the Immigrant AIDS Society with the express purpose of... Uh, of shipping large numbers of uh, New Englanders, abolitionists to Kansas, to uh, to kind of tip the scales of of who would control it, uh, and a lot of people think of abolitionists as peaceful people, and that wasn't always the case. Uh, you had John Brown, who uh, who was not satisfied with the way things were progressing, and murdered uh, five slave uh, pro slavery families. And he didn't stop there. Uh, he wanted to lead a slave rebellion in Virginia. So he aspired to take the armory at Harper's Ferry, Virginia, now West Virginia. Uh, and he was going to supply slaves, the weapons from the arsenal, to lead a revolt, but it never took hold. Ironically, uh, within 36 hours, he was captured, tried, and hung. Uh and it was a group of Marines that captured him, and their commanding officer was Robert E. Lee. Interesting. Uh, how do you perceive, then, uh, Lincoln? I mean, he's often 
held up as one of you know the great presidents, perhaps the greatest president, along with George Washington. Uh, those in the South often have a very different view, or not just those in the South, those who I think perceive correctly what the Civil War was truly about often see Lincoln in an entirely different uh, vein, not just, you know, not the great emancipator, but something uh, far less uh, desirable, I suppose. Yeah, you, you have some people that really just love Lincoln because... Uh, is perceived that his only mission was to preserve the Union, which was true. But you have to remember, uh, Lincoln said, if I can preserve the Union with slavery, I will. If I can preserve it without it, I will. And Lincoln had strong views about slaves. He did not think uh, black people were equal to white people. Um, and also, um, Lincoln had uh, had a very big problem. And this is the underlying cause of the war right here. Eighty percent of the nation's tax revenue came through southern ports in the form of tariff. And this money was going for uh, public projects, mainly in the north. So the south was getting taxed uh, and paying the majority of the taxes in the country. And all the projects with that money uh, were being created in the north. Uh, Lincoln, somebody once asked him, why not let the South go in peace? And he answered by saying, where would I get my money? And uh, Lincoln only became an emancipator when his presidency was in serious trouble. It, it wasn't a given that he was going to get reelected in 1864. Uh, so in 1863, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation came forth. And uh, suddenly, uh, the people had a moral cause to fight uh, instead of just a cause for money. And that's what he needed uh, because, like I said, uh, the South, uh, they lost Vicksburg. Uh, they lost at Gettysburg, but they were still a force to be reckoned with. And up to that point, they had lost a lot of battles, and people were questioning Lincoln's ability to lead. So out comes the moral cause to rally people um, because a lot of northerners, northerners did not want to be drafted and fight a war to free the slaves because the harsh reality is a lot of northerners didn't want freed slaves in the north and a lot of the uh, trouble and disagreements over new territories was because quite frankly a lot of northerners uh thought the western territories were supposed to be reserved for white men so my opinion about Lincoln uh, is not a very good one uh, the acts that he was willing to go to in the war to win the war uh, you know under his leadership war was made on people not armies they were made on armies but the people were included in this and a good example of this is Sherman's march to the sea and uh, states like my state and Missouri really suffered at the hands of uh, this regime uh, during and after the war uh, pastors had to take the oath of allegiance and it got so bad that they were even told what bible passages they could preach and which ones were off limits because they were deemed treasonous just delve into a little further what happened during Sherman's march to the sea and how civilians were targeted 
Uh, well, he laid everything. Uh, sorry, just get, I'll get you to back up. You, sorry, Clay, um, Clayton, you, you cut out there. So just if you could start the answer to that oh, again. Yeah, he, uh, he basically just laid waste to everything in his path. Uh, fields of crops, houses, farms, uh, industry, all of it, railroads, all of it. There was nothing off limits. Uh, he burned his way through Georgia and into the Carolinas. Um, and a matter of fact, uh, I believe it was Roswell, Georgia. Uh, there was some Georgia women who worked in a factory which made uniforms, a uh, textile mill. He put all of them on boxcars and shipped them to the north. And, uh, you know, a lot of their fates were never were never determined. Um, so Sherman's war, uh, it was very much a war against the people. And Sherman had even made comments that to win the war, you would have to exterminate Southern men, women, and children. Those were his words. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, people uh, complain about Trump's handling of, of the media and they talk about him being, you know, he's anti, uh, he's anti journalism and anti free speech and so forth. Uh, to my knowledge, Trump hasn't put any journalist in jail, but Lincoln certainly did. I mean, he would literally close down newspapers. He would force journalists to write positive op-ed pieces about his administration, didn't he? Yeah, if if you were critical of the war or against the cause, uh, the cause they said the war was about, uh, they would smash your printing presses. A lot of times they would jail uh, newspaper editors and publishers. Um, so he very much had control of the media as well. 
he was not open for criticism and anything against Lincoln was deemed treasonous. And there were a lot of people in the North that were uh, arrested under the guise of treason because they did not want war. And history uh, refers to them as copperheads because a copperhead uh, would bite you without warning, whereas a rattlesnake would at least give you a warning. How many political prisoners uh, did did Lincoln's administration throw in the clink? Do you know? Do we know? I, you know, I've never seen a number on that. I'm not saying a number doesn't exist. I'm just saying I've, for one, have never seen one. But I, I would have to guess it would be in the thousands. Right. I mean, but he did. I mean, he suspended habeas corpus, right? I mean, he threw dissidents, anyone he labeled a dissident anywhere could be imprisoned without trial. Yeah, well, they took control of Maryland very quickly because part of Washington, D.C. is in Maryland. But the uh, the fact is a lot of Marylanders were pro-South uh, in one way or the other. Either they were for secession or they did not want to see the South invaded because it was considered their sister states. So uh, I was on another podcast one day and the host said uh, Fort Sumter was the first shot, but Baltimore, Maryland was actually the first blood. Uh, when these citizens saw these troops coming through Maryland, they started rioting, rioting, throwing rocks at them. And the troops fired into the crowd. Uh, so that was the first blood. And it's not unlike uh, what happened in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, at the beginning of the war. Uh, Missouri was settled first by the French and then uh, by the Scots-Irish. And the majority of the citizens before uh, 1848 were Scots-Irish. But... 1848 was a key year because that was the year of a German revolution. And uh, the socialists, they lost their revolution and they came here. And they came to Missouri because a German traveler came through once and, and wrote a book and noted how much it reminded them of Germany. So they came here and they were called 48ers. Uh, now, the State Guard, Missouri State Guard, Missouri Militia, was sent to uh, the fairgrounds in St. Louis for a drill, and it was named Cap Jackson, and uh, that was after the governor. Some say they were after the weapons in the arsenal, which may have been true. I don't know. Um, it's a good possibility they were. But the camp was surrounded, and they surrendered because they didn't stand a chance. Um, so these men that surrendered native Missourians were being marched through the streets of St. Louis by essentially German troops who were enlisting in the union. Now the natives did not like the sight of native Missourians being marched at gunpoint by foreigners. So it was very similar to Baltimore. They started uh, throwing rocks and stuff and the union troops fired in the crowd and it lasted two or three days, and uh, 28 civilians were killed, including a baby. Hmm. Had there been no bloodletting, no civil war, how long do you think it would have taken to f to free the slaves? Because it was happening, right? It was inevitable. It was. It happened just about everywhere else without, uh, you know, the need for a civil war. Yeah, uh, the Industrial Revolution would have guaranteed the freeing of the slaves because it was, you know, I, I don't mean to sound this, sound harsh, but 
it, it was a lot cheaper to buy a machine to, to do the jobs that manual labor once provided. Um, so I tend to think it would have been a gradual emancipation. I know uh, Brazil freed their slaves without a war. Um, and I say a, a, man, uh, a gradual emancipation because, again, you would have to make sure they would have a trade or something, some way to take care of themselves, or, you know, it would have been anarchy afterwards. And consequently, it kind of was anarchy after the war because uh, the North didn't take into account what are we going to do with these people after they're free. They just turned them loose. You're free with, you know, no way to make a living, no way to provide. Right, right. Um, this was certainly Jefferson's. That was certainly Jefferson's concern. I mean, Jefferson now is uh, has been vilified because, well, he was a slave owner, but he uh, he was concerned that at his death, you know, what would become of of the slaves, and and so that was sort of. I mean, he obviously he grappled with this as he believed in all, that all men were created equal. In fact, I think earlier versions of the. Uh, um, the Constitution. I mean, he or the the the, uh, the, uh, the Declaration. He talked about uh, about slavery, but I, I believe those passages were removed. Yeah, uh, they they were removed because they needed everybody on board, and they didn't think they could uh, get everybody on on board with the language they had written. Uh, and you're right, Jefferson was concerned about it. And uh, the abolitionist societies were uh, were bigger in the South uh, before the uh, Kansas issue, the bleeding Kansas issue. Sometimes the media is complicit in these false flag operations. And I, I want to talk about in the uh, moments that remain before we um, close out part one of what will be going an ongoing series on false flags. I want to talk about the Spanish-American War and the role that the media played really in fanning the flames of that, literally, of that. Uh, talk to me about yellow journalism and the uh, the outbreak of the Spanish-American War. Okay, well, the Spanish-American War, we've all been told it was because the uh, USS Maine blew up in Havana Harbor, which did happen. Uh, but the consensus was it was done by the Spanish government. Uh, investigations after the fact that it happened, you know, years later, revealed that uh, that's not what happened. The ammunition was stored too close to the coal bunker, and they think an ember, you know, got out of the furnace or whatever, and ignited the coal, heated it up, which caused the ammunition uh, room to blow up. Well, they use this as an excuse to go to war. Uh, now, there were a couple of reasons for this war. One was that America was going through a depression, and it was due to many of the railroads going bankrupt because they were mismanaged. Uh, the railroad industry was terribly corrupt back then. Uh, so when the railroad railroads were going bankrupt, that uh, that affected the steel industry, which made the rail. It caused a depression. 
this was in the 1890s. This was in the 1890s. Yes, I believe it started in 1898. Um, so that's one reason. Economics is, is always a reason. Uh, and, and throughout history, it's been a reason. But there was another reason. And uh, they seem to think that Spain was the only country that recognized the Confederacy during its uh, bid for independence. So this was a good chance to pay Spain back as well. Ah, okay. And we should point out that the main uh, was this armored cruiser. It was in Havana Harbor. Uh, Cuba was undergoing its own sort of war of independence. And they, the American uh, vessel, the Maine, the USS Maine, was in the harbor to sort of protect U.S. interests during this War of Independence. But I mentioned the media earlier uh, because it was really, wasn't it the Hearst publications that were really sort of pushing this whole idea, uh, you know, and the whole the phrase, remember the Maine and to hell with Spain, wasn't that... Uh, William Randolph Hearst's uh, paper that was really pushing that? Yeah, he was notorious for that. Like you said, it was known as yellow journalism. Uh, I did find an example uh, in newspaper archives about the link to uh, the Spanish-American War and Spain's recognition of the Confederacy. And uh, it came in the form of a letter published in the March 25th, 1898 Evening Star newspaper of Washington, D.C. Uh, and I don't know if it was a Hearst paper or not, but it was written by a Mr. William Howard Mills who stated, the haste with which Spain fell over itself in recognizing the Confederate States of America is not forgotten. America has been a model of forbearance and consideration toward a nation overburdened with effort for self-preservation, but the, the destruction of the USS Maine whether connived at by the Spanish government or only by some of its officers, was an act of war against America, and Spain is responsible. He goes on to state, Something is about to drop. I have it only one removed from the president, unless he changes his mind, and he is not a changeable man. The people will be electrified within a week, possibly before Sunday. Hmm. So this man had it from somebody who was close to the president, we were going to war. Right, right. There's a line in Citizen Kane, which is, you know, kind of a thinly veiled look at the life of William Randolph Hearst. And I don't know if it's apocryphal or not. You, you might be able to clarify. But there's a scene in the movie, I think it's Walter Pidgeon, who is playing opposite Orson Welles. Welles is playing Citizen Kane and or is, is, is playing essentially the William Randolph Hearst character. And he's, he's sending this reporter, Walter Pidgeon, off to Havana uh, because of the outbreak of this war. And he said, bring me back pictures. And Walter Pidgeon said, well, bring you back pictures of what? There's no, there's no war. He says, you provide the pictures, I'll provide the war. Mm -hmm. Did Hearst yeah, actually say that? Uh, actually, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if he said that or not. So, uh, you mentioned the economy. That is often, you're right, uh, uh, sort of the motivation for going to war. So, did it have the effect, the Spanish-American War, did it lift the United States out of depression? It certainly seems to have. Listen, we're going to leave part one 
right here. And uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months, we'll continue to check in with you. And next, we'll talk about uh, World War One. We can talk about, obviously, the sinking of the Lusitania. We can talk about 9-11. We can talk about the Boston bombing. So much more. 9-11, uh, the assassination of RFK, JFK, uh, the sinking of the USS Liberty, which is a very controversial topic. Uh, we'll get into all of that next when we meet. How do people get a copy of A Beginner's Guide to False Flags? Uh, yeah, there's two ways. You can go to Amazon.com and just type in Clint Lacey in the search bar. Or you can go to foothillsmedia.net and uh, you'll find a link there to, to purchase the book. A Beginner's Guide to False Flags. Clint Lacey. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back to tell you more about what's coming up on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber, $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet next time on conspiracy unlimited a former law enforcement official explains how to be a paranormal detective I thought Rockdale, Texas was the only one that had Crybaby Bridge until I went in the Army and I went through boot camp and hung out with a bunch of soldiers and like a half the guys in the platoon had some sort of version of Crybaby Bridge. And so that, that really amazed me in that because, you know, that is kind of a physical thing when, when you're talking about hearing a baby cry and being able to, to capture that and you know there's no baby in the area and then you realize, oh, it's a rusty bridge. All the rivets are not real sturdy and when the wind blows, it makes the bridge move and the, the bridge sounds like a baby cry. And stuff like that's amazing to me. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 